Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be back there tonight and uh, continue with the study that we talked about, began this morning. And I'll remind you that I started here looking at this uh, from, from 2 Peter and then looking at 1 and 2 Peter on the topic of your call and then your election. Because that is the way that we want to go about studying our Bibles. We don't want to be random and jump all over the place in order to support what, um, or even to understand what a passage is saying. We want to start as close to the passage as we can and then work our way out. That is the way that you're going to study the Bible and learn the Bible responsibly. Um, Because we want to give credit to the writer and to the Holy Spirit who inspired him to write that perhaps right there in his writings he has given us more information about the topic that he has just written about so that we can understand it. So 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1 verse 10. I'll read that for us again. It says, Therefore, brethren... And we've been working through 2 Peter 1, so this isn't our first day in this chapter. We've been working through this, and because we're told here in verse 10, as it says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Okay? So because he says there that we are to be even more diligent to make our call or your call in the election, sure, I thought we should spend time today, which I started this morning and we'll do a little more tonight, helping us to biblically understand what our call and election is. In other words, what is it that we are making sure? What is this call? What is this election that Peter is writing to his readers about? So that's why we are diving into this and spending time looking at it tonight because I do not, I I like Peter, do not want to be negligent. In verse 10, he says, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Now, his negligence was different than what I'm referring to, but I do not want to be negligent and assume that everybody has a biblical knowledge or understanding of what Peter's talking about here. So I'm not going to be negligent in that, but I'm spending time here to try to uh, go over some passages that refer to it. And I, I will say that I did misspeak this morning. I appreciate somebody pointing out to me that when I was talking about foreknowledge, I used that, I said inerrant when I should have said there's an errant view of foreknowledge. So I Sometimes your brain just doesn't work when you're standing up here. Hopefully it doesn't happen too often. But let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Lord, as we come to your word now tonight, to look at a topic that can be difficult, it is hard. Um, Lord, we do not deny that. But we come to it tonight, uh, Lord, and I, I pray that we would be able to submit to your word and not force anything on your word, but let your word, uh, let your word speak. So, God, please give us understanding. Please give us uh, faith to believe. 
and Lord to submit to you through the scriptures. And uh, God, I thank you that we are united in the gospel in Christ. While we may not agree on various doctrines, various topics from the Bible, our unity comes in Jesus Christ. And I thank you for that tonight. And I pray, Lord, that that unity will be preserved. So let us, Lord, endeavor tonight, each one, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, like uh, John Newton said, John Newton being the author of Amazing Grace and being the uh, slave ship captain who God converted uh, through a really miraculous story. Um, He said something along the lines that he would not walk across his parlor in order to convince someone of the doctrines that we will talk about tonight. So long as that person, and I'm going to summarize what he said, but so long as that person loves Jesus, is battling sin, and seeking to walk in holiness. So I agree with him that the doctrines that I will talk to you about tonight are not doctrines that I would walk across the room to try to convince you of so long as you are doing all of those things. Because all of those things are more important than these. These doctrines, I believe, would probably be tertiary issues, third layer as far as things that should divide us. These are doctrines that are doctrines in the family, things that we discuss among ourselves and maybe maybe debate a little, though I don't really like to use that word, but we would discuss them and think about them and uh, among ourselves as a family. But they should not divide us. And I never want them to do that. Because through Christ, that is where we find our unity. And that's where we should find love for one another. And be able to talk to one another. And challenge one another with the word of God. With the scripture, that's what matters. As iron sharpens iron, so... A man sharpens the countenance of his friend. So I do pray that we can be a place where that will happen. So to uh, to review our handout from this morning, I talked about your call. I gave you three types of calls that we see in Scripture, and there may be more than that, but I gave you these, and I'm going to talk to you about the definitions of these this morning. We concluded that Peter here in 1 Peter 1.10 is probably most likely talking about an effectual call where God calls us to himself through the gospel, uh, that new birth that takes place. Jesus said, unless a man is born of the Spirit, he will not enter the kingdom of God. And so it is that there is a new birth that must take place. If you'll look over at 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter 1 verse 3. Here we see this new birth because Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy 
has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I memorized this in the New American Standard a long time ago. What does it say, Jacob? That's exactly right. The New American Standard translates the phrase or the word begotten as has caused us to be born. Is that the way the ESV has it? Okay, so let's read it with that in there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has caused us to be born again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In that very verse there, we see that God is the prime mover in the salvation of lost sinners. That God has done something to cause us to be born again. Okay, so we talked about this effectual call, and that sort of falls into that uh, 1 verse 3, 1 Peter chapter 1. This is a great passage to memorize, by the way. Uh, working through 1 Peter, you can go all the way through verse 12. All of this is very memorable. It's actually pretty easy to memorize. Uh, it goes on to talk about the inheritance that we have and then the faith that we have as we are kept and then the genuineness of that faith. Number two is your election. And I gave the definition of election this morning, which is the divine choice of person or persons to eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ that is according to the Father's good pleasure and results in the praise of the glory of His grace. That definition in large part is taken from Ephesians chapter 2. I mean chapter 1. It kind of combines some of the word wording and phrasing that is found there. Now, did Peter really believe this is what I asked this morning. And then we looked at his personal testimony from John chapter 6 that I will not go over with you now. And then we looked at his clear writing. And we looked at some of the references that we find in both letters that have to do with election or God's choosing of His people. Now, what I want to do tonight is take just a few minutes, I hope, and really do what I uh, was able to do this past Friday because someone uh, at LCA, let's do this, we're going to run it back to the title page and leave it right there. Someone at LCA came in to my office on Friday and asked about... Uh, election and asked me to explain that a little more to her because she was having a bit of a difficult time understanding it and rightfully so it is hard to understand sherry was in there at the time when i was able to talk to this lady so what i really want to do right now is just kind of take you and walk you through the things that i talked to her about and really what we're going to do going outside of first and second peter we're going to go to some passages in the New Testament that also support this and teach this. And the first place that I would have you turn to is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Again, the reason we're looking at this is because we want to know from the Bible what it is that we are being sure of. We want to know what we are being sure of, what we are being even more diligent to 
make sure of. In other words, to make our call and election sure. told you this morning that the alternative is to make, you know, it could be something like to make our reception of it and our choice of God sure. We're either doing that or we're, we are making our call that God has called us and that God has chosen us sure. All right, so 2 Thessalonians chapter, 13, chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, there's nothing real technical about this at all. There's not a lot of need to search out the context. The passage is fairly straightforward. Starting at verse 13, he says to the Thessalonians, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, Brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Okay? Now, if we were to break this down in the order of salvation, we see here an order of salvation. The first point would be that we are chosen by God. The second point would be that we are sanctified or through sanctification by the Spirit. And the third point would be belief in the truth. And then we go to verse 14 and we see here that he says, To which he called you by our gospel. For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, then in verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. So as you gaze upon verse 13, we see him talking there about or addressing these brethren as beloved by the Lord. And then he says, because... He lays out those three things that I just mentioned to you. This order of salvation. Ordo salutis, I think is the Latin word. I may have really messed that up. But the order of salvation that Paul lays out here. And then in verse 14, we will recognize that this is not separated from the preaching of the gospel. From that general call of the gospel that goes out. You see... Mark 16, we are told to preach the gospel to some creatures or to every creature? Every creature under heaven. So we preach the gospel to all. And it is some in the preaching of the gospel that will respond. The Thessalonians, apparently, to Paul had responded. And they they made that manifest, obvious, by the way they were living out their faith. So, he says there in verse 14, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a phrase here that's used, the second point of this, through sanctification by the Spirit. Do you all see that in verse 13? Through sanctification by the Spirit. Everybody see it? Does the ESV have that? 
as well. Sanctification by the Spirit. Now, if you would, kind of hold your finger there and flip over to 1 Peter 1. First Peter 1 verse 2, again we see an order of salvation in verse 2, where he writes and says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit. Y'all see that phrase? It's just like the phrase we just saw in 2 Thessalonians. He goes on to say, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I am highlighting the word, the phrase sanctification of the Spirit. Often when we see that phrase, we think about the progression toward Christ-likeness that happens after our justification. After God saves us, then we begin to be sanctified. Is that the way you all typically understand that? That's not what this phrase is talking about. This phrase is telling us that the Spirit moves in the lost sinner to bring life. For instance, John chapter 6. Jesus says, The Spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. So the sanctification of the Spirit here in both of these instances apparently is that the Spirit works in the world convicting of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and in doing so at the preaching of the gospel that spirit sets apart lost sinners to himself sets apart lost sinners to believe the gospel and to be able to respond in faith and repentance it is that new birth it is that giving of life Does that make sense? Because what we want to believe here is that both of these authors are giving us the order in which these things happen. So sanctification of the Spirit. That certainly aligns with John 3 about the new birth, part of which I briefly mentioned to you a moment ago. All right. So... The verse 14 of 2 Thessalonians 2, they were called by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of Christ. In 1 Peter, after the sanctification of the Spirit, we see that there is obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. So that obedience apparently to the gospel, we are obedient to the gospel in faith and repentance. And the Spirit, The Spirit, God, He applies to our account the atoning blood of Jesus Christ for our sins. The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the first place I would go. And then I went the other day. Now, let's um, let's look at the next one. The next place that I would have you turn to is Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And now we're going to look at what is called the golden chain of salvation. Now you're not going to find that title in the Bible here anywhere, but I guess in the theology books that's what you would call this, the golden chain of salvation. And we're going to start at verse 28, Romans 8, verse 28. 
This is a verse that I hope everybody in this church has memorized. If you don't have Romans 8, 28 memorized, Christopher, you got it? No, you ain't got to answer. Uh, uh, Romans 8, 28, you, you got to know this verse, okay? This will keep you sane during difficult times of your life. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are, now notice, um, what's the called, a, a definite article? The called according to His purpose. To those who are the called according to His purpose. And then in verse 29, let the sirens go by. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. All right, so that is, our, that is our destiny for those who are in Christ, to be conformed to the image of his Son. That is sanctification in the Christian life. Now, verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also, what? What does it say? Called. Whom he called, these he also, what? Justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, this is, as I said, is what's called the golden chain of salvation. The first link in that chain would be the foreknowledge of God. The second link in that chain would be the predestinating of God that God does. Now, based upon that predestination, the third link in the chain would be those whom He has called. Next in the chain, the golden chain of salvation would be the link of justification. That God pardons the guilty sinner through faith in Christ while we are yet in our sinful state. We are justified, made right before Him. And then the last link in the chain of salvation is glorification. The golden chain of salvation. And you you see in here, all over this, that it's God who is doing it. That it's God who is accomplishing this and will accomplish it. Now, on the topic of called, very quickly, since we're in Romans, I'd like to ask you to turn back to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, here in verse... 7. And then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians. I just want to hit this topic of the called real quick. You notice in Romans 1 verse 7, he says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So they are called to be separated ones, holy ones for God. And he says, grace to you and peace. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9, 
again. He writes to them at the beginning of this letter, and he says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, in in all of these instances, and so often in the Bible, we see God being the one who's calling us. We see God as the one who is choosing us. As God as the one who is foreknowing us. And then God, and God in doing all those things, is accomplishing His will according to His good purpose. Now, we need to keep going. I want to now ask you to turn in your Bibles to uh, first to Second Timothy chapter one. We got probably just a couple more that we'll look at. This isn't an exhaustive study. We're just taking a look at a few other passages tonight to round off what we're seeing in the New Testament. We could go into the Gospels and see the Bible talk much more about this, particularly the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, we often dismiss it thinking that it is just all about uh, us being responsible to believe on the Lord Jesus, and we are. But yet, at the same time in the Gospel of John, throughout it, there is this, there's this teaching, this tone, that God is the one who calls His people to Himself. That God gives to the Son those whom He would give to them. And the Son saves them. Alright, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to pick up here at verse 8. This is a powerful passage. Because we might look at the, the term foreknowledge and say, Okay, Jesus or God looked down throughout time and He saw that I would believe. Now let's just see if that holds up against this passage. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. See, in verse 9 in particular, we see here this holy calling that we have. And the Bible seems to be making it very clear to us here that it really wasn't according to our works. It wasn't according to us. But what was it according to? Do you see it there in verse 9? What was 
What was our calling according to? His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And you may say, hey, explain that to me. I can't can't explain that to you. All I can do is read what the Bible says and embrace it by faith. And I can also see in verse 12 that Paul says, I know in whom I have believed. And the call for all of us tonight is, do you know in whom you have believed? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You and your household for all who believe. You say, explain that. I don't think I can. But I embrace both of them. By faith, because it's in the Word of God. See, faith, or theology, is faith-seeking understanding. We embrace the Bible and what it says, though we may not understand it. We study God. Theology is the study of God. It is faith-seeking understanding. So we continually come to the Word in faith, knowing that the Lord will give understanding. Now, uh, I'll have you turn to one more place and then I'm, I'm, I'll think I'll just be done. But in Acts chapter 13, verse 48. Now, there may be alternative interpretations of this verse and that's, that's fine. I would just ask, Anyone, when they come to the Bible, to be fair with the Scripture. And I want to read this verse because it is one that I had the individual that I talked to the other day turn to, and we looked at together. But here in this narrative, this New Testament narrative that talks about the early days of the church and the gospel going to the Gentiles, in verse 48 it says, Now, when the Gentiles heard this, They were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And then in verse 48. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now I've told you all before I'm not real smart. Matter of fact I'm an average to below average pastor. But when I read that verse it looks like. That everybody who was appointed unto eternal life believed the gospel. And that goes back to the choosing the election of God from before time began. And then him calling us effectually through the gospel that we might have eternal life. Now I'm going to, I'm sorry, Acts 16 i got to give you a, an example of this. You might say, how does that work? Okay, I'm going to give you an example maybe of how it works. Acts 16. Lydia and the ladies are at the uh, river uh, worshiping. Uh, let's see, they are, let's get that right. They are uh, praying. Let's see here. All right, verse 13, there's not a synagogue in Philippi, so they go to the river when they get there. But verse 13 says, And on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. 
and we sat down and spoke to the women who were there, who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. And then look at the end of verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Lydia is a pretty good example of the effectual call of God. Because Paul and those who were with him apparently were preaching the gospel there. And when she heard it, the Lord opened her heart so that she could receive it. Okay? That's all I've got for y'all tonight. If you have questions about this that, you know, I probably can't answer, you're welcome to come up and, you know, ask me afterwards or, or talk among yourselves. But it is something worth studying. Even if this doctrine and these doctrines are offensive to you, I'll tell you, they were offensive to me when I first heard them too. But then, just by the, by the grace of God only, and plus I was preaching at the time and had to do something with them. And uh, I remember in my early days in New Orleans Seminary, I was pastoring a small mission church, and I started middle ways of Ephesians, so I wouldn't have to deal with the first chapters. And... Then I went to the Gospel of John, and I thought, I'll be safe here. And I got to John 6, and it just pummeled me, and I said, I surrender. And then I went back and preached the first three chapters of Ephesians later on. So it was a process for me. These are humbling doctrines, and they should keep us humble. They are not to be prideful about or arrogant, but it's, uh, it's humble. and It's not that we understand all of it, but we, we believe God's Word. And we want to stand on that. And you're safe to do so. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you again for the attention of your people tonight. And for the freedom that we have to stand up and proclaim your word. Uh, Lord, uh, we do not understand everything that we read. but, But you haven't called us to understand everything. You've called us to believe. So God, we believe, but help our unbelief. And I just pray, Father, that no matter where we stand on these doctrines, I I just pray, God, that we'll all be pursuing Jesus Christ to be more like Him and let Your Word shape us accordingly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.